Uh, it's uh, just about as nerve-wracking in this service as it was the first service, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot more faces in this one. And uh, I just want to again say welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. Glad you're here. If I don't know you, if you don't know me, my name again is Will. And I'm, like I say, one of your newly elected elders. And I'm just thankful that I get the opportunity to, to preach this morning. Uh, Matt makes this look so easy. He makes it look so fluid. And he makes this just, uh, oh, I can do that. And then when you get up here and then you look that way, oh, Wow. It's a whole lot different. Well, today we're going to be in Judges. Judges 13, uh, actually chapters 13 through 16. You can turn to your Bibles if you, in, in there if, if you want to. I'm not going to read all of those chapters to you. Uh, first of all, because you don't want me to read those to you. Uh, because I don't read very well. And I really don't read very well in a room full of people. So uh, we're going we're gonna to be looking at about a 30,000 foot view of Samson today. And so what I want to talk to you a little bit about is, is uh, Israel, just like last week, Israel is, uh, is, is under the hands of the Philistines in Judges 13. And, and, and uh, what, what has Israel done? Well, they've continued to serve false gods. They've continued to serve themselves. And they continue to rebel against God. So today in Judges 13 through 16, we'll, we'll talk about the life of Samson. And Samson was, uh, Samson was a Nazarite. He was, he was born uh, set apart to God. And what that means is, is, is he was to touch no fermented drink, was to drink. Uh, and, and some versions of the Bible says he wasn't even allowed to touch a grape or be near a vineyard. And so during that time, grapes and wine was uh, kind of the drink of the day. So he was, he was not to have any of that uh, a part of his life. Um, another thing, Samson, uh, Samson uh, was, was prone to volatility. Samson had a, 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 an attitude much like my attitude when things don't go right. And when things don't go right for me, you, you, I don't know. How many of you in this room have been blessed to witness my fits and temper tantrums? I know my wife and kids have, but uh, Samson was prone to do that because of Samson's bad choices. Samson would, uh, he, 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 of course, he had long hair, uh, which I cannot relate to. I don't know if you can tell that, but, uh, but Samson, as, as bar, part of being uh, born a Nazarite, he was, no razor was to touch his head because the hair that he grew, the long hair, was the source of his strength given by God. And so what we look at in Samson's life is, is Samson was prone to, to fits of rage. He was, he was prone to wonder, which like we, we, we all still are today. Uh, he, was, he was prone to wonder in sin patterns. And he was prone to, to make rash decisions. He, uh, in, in 13 and 14, it talks about how he, was, uh, he would just see something and he would tell his parents, I want it, get it for me. How many of us, well, never mind. Uh, how many of us can relate to that? I want it, get it for me. Samson was, he was rash, is, is one, what one commentary said. Samson was, uh, he was again, like I say, uh, prone to fits of rage because in those rash decisions, when things wouldn't go his way, talking about his strength, he would rip lions apart. I don't know how many of you can rip a lion apart. I know that I can't, but can you imagine... I, a lion, a living, breathing creature, rips it apart because, because he's mad and because he wants to show off his strength. So Samson, his life is portrayed about, uh, again, 
fits of, fits of rage, volatility, and, and, and prone to sin. So Judges 13 through 16 tells that. And, and so we're going to condense it today. I said he was born in Nazareth. He was born to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And he was born with unbelievable strength. Okay, uh, 14, uh, verse, uh, chapter 14 talks about uh, Samson's marriage. Okay, Samson was married a couple of times. Uh, it doesn't say the name of his first wife, but uh, he wasn't, he was married to her, but he wasn't actually married to her for any length of time because his, his wife, uh, his father-in-law, or soon-to-be father-in-law, actually gave her away to one of the, the, the folks attending his wedding, and that's why he got so upset and ripped the line apart. But, uh, but he was, he was, uh, that's, that's what sparked the rage and, uh, and, and, and his vengeance. He, took, he gathered 300 foxes. I don't know how one does that, gathers 300 foxes, but I guarantee you Richard Faust and Archie Wood could do it. They could gather. If, if, if they were tasked to do that, they could do that. But anyway, he grabbed 300 foxes, tied their tails together, set them on fire, and, 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 and let them loose in, in a wheat field. Of the Philistines. Now I don't know. Justin can probably tell you about how much money that is. That's a lot of money, that, and that's a lot of, lot of, lot of expense and a lot of food that was lost because Samson got mad and tied these foxes' tails together and 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 just set the world on fire. Basically, of course, I don't understand how you tie foxes' tails together, but that's a whole other story. Matt can probably tell you that. Prone to volatility, and he was unpredictable. Samson was unpredictable. You never could tell, like I said a while ago, he, he made rash decisions, so he was unpredictable. And he was prone to fits of unyielding rage because of his impulsive actions. Samson was born to deliver Israel from its enemies, given unbelievable strength to accomplish this task. But we find Samson succumbs to weaknesses that many of us are still plagued with today. Samson was given all the tools possible to be a great leader, but Samson chose not to. He failed to use the gifts given him to glorify God, but he chose rather to seek revenge for himself and glorify himself. So what we hope to learn today is that leadership depends on one thing, what you do with it. Leadership depends on one thing, what you do with it. Do you bring people to Christ or do you push them away? So leadership is a, is a struggle for me. I have, uh, I've battled with it my whole life. It's more like a, like a love-hate relationship because of its difficulties. What leadership requires is it requires you to serve a purpose greater than yourself. It requires sacrifice, and oftentimes, more often than not, leadership requires accountability to and from others. And so leadership is hard. Leadership is actually servantship. Leadership is often, good leadership is often uh, uh, characterized by, by this. You want to accomplish a given goal or task you have to be selfless. You have to think of yourself less, thinking others of others before you think of yourself. Sanson's life did not display this. And I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, my life doesn't display this all the time as well. And so as far back as I can remember, uh, I was either thrust into leadership roles or 
I was placed into leadership roles. And when I was younger, that looked like mainly like sports in the way of sports. Uh, now that I'm older, it looks in, in business. It looks like business. It looks like uh, uh, church leadership to a degree. Uh, the organization that I'm blessed to serve at, and I don't know why I'm starting to cry, but anyway. <clears throat> the organization that I'm blessed to serve at, I serve on our leadership team. And what that looks like is, is it, it looks much like the leadership team here at Trinity. We are tasked to serve our, our uh, fellow co- co-workers, our fellow team members, our fellow employees. We're tasked to serve them. And in, in serving them, they serve our membership. And our membership are the folks, some of you in here, that buy electrical power from Big Country Electric Cooperative. And so that is, uh, that is what, what, what I am blessed to be a part of. So we are a team who guides and directs the management and business of our organization, much like the the leadership team guides and directs what goes on here at Trinity. So a few years ago, I was tasked with the responsibility of building a training program. It's a very difficult task, but we were able to do it. I was tasked with this, but we as a team we were able to do it. We were able to get this done. Because what I learned over the last few years is that there are two types of leaders. There are those that will take the gift that God has given them, use them for his good and his glory. And there are those people, those, those are the people that bring folks to Christ. They, they, they include folks in the mission. They, they, they seek accountability from others. They seek input from others. They seek to, to serve something greater than themselves. Or there's those type of leaders that will take every bit of God-given talent, everything that he's given them, and use it to destroy anything that stands in their way. And that's those type of leaders that push people away. So this brings us back to Samson. See, he judged Israel for 20 years before he died. He had all the potential of being a great leader. He, it was spelled out. In, in Judges 13, that he was born in Nazareth, set apart from God. He was given the strength to do what needed to be done because he was going to begin, begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But he failed to live up to this potential. He failed to live up to it because, uh, because he fell into the same sin patterns of volatility, rash decision-making. And just fits of unyielding strength and power used to glorify himself rather than to glorify God. So as I study for this message, I, I listened to the Bible on CV. I got a 20, 20 mile drive uh, to Roby and, and, and to, to where I go to work. So I, I, my wife a few years ago bought me uh, the Bible on CD and I've about wore that CD out of Judges, listen from Judges 13 to, to 16. Uh, but, I, but I listened to that, and I, and I read the Archaeological Study Bible. I read my Life Application Study Bible. I've read my Maxwell Leadership Bible. I, I've just been studying, listening, and, and praying, and, and just asking, God, what, what, what do I glean from this? Well, through all of that study, through all of that listening, what I did was I found my story, a story much like Samson's. See, I was tasked with building this program, but what, what happened was I became arrogant, I became prideful. If anybody offered an opinion of the work that that I was doing, if it differed from mine, or if I didn't think it was right, I would lash out at them. 
I would act impulsively and I would do things that was uncharacteristic of me at the time. So for a period of two years, I failed to address weaknesses in my character. I would talk to people in, in such a way that it would just shut them down. And while I didn't use any physical strength on people, I used the strength and the power of my words just to tear people down. I would tear them down to the point where they didn't even want to talk to me. I would tear them down to the point where if they saw me coming, they would turn the other way because they didn't want to have any interaction with me. And so I used those, those words, like I said, to damage relationships, to damage people. And I began to l rely on my own strength. I began to rely on, on all things will instead of all things God. So I began to react in a way, like I said, that was uncharacteristic. And, and I, because I was so self-centered and so self-focused because I wanted this program to succeed, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted, there's a lot of eyes in there. And then there wasn't very many teams there wasn't very many we's. There wasn't when any bringing people in for accountability. It was all me focused. And so I like to have destroyed what I was brought there to do, what I was hired to do, which was build that program. But, I, but my saving grace, I had a man who had the courage to pull me aside, to take me out to lunch, to point out all the things, to share with me all the things that I was doing wrong. But he did so in a way of love and not judgment. He saw that I had the gift of leadership. He saw that I had these, this potential. But he shared with me that if I didn't change the way I was doing things, if I didn't change my approach to this program, if I didn't change the way I talked to people, and if I didn't, forgive me if I quote, quote, quote Coach Boone wrong, if I didn't change the way I ran, if I didn't change the way I practiced, if I didn't change the way I love people, then I was going to do more harm than I ever could do good. And that brings us back to Samson. Samson had the potential to do more good than he did harm, but Samson chose not to because Samson wasn't in community with folks. Samson wasn't walking side by side with people. Samson wasn't inviting people in and saying, hold me accountable. That man had the courage that day to set me down and tell me a story of leadership. And when leadership is used with the gifts God has given me, while it's a hard path and it's a tough path, it'll be the most rewarding path that you'll ever walk down. Ever. He pointed me to the life of Jesus Christ. He instructed me in the ways of leadership in my work environment, in my home environment. He instructed me that, that each and every place that I am, I have a circle of influence. I have an opportunity to do ministry in the field. See, we come in here on Sundays and we come in here on Wednesdays and we get coached up. We get poured into. Our mission field is beyond these four walls or however many walls we're surrounded by now. Our mission field is, is on the streets of Sweetwater. Our mission field is in the streets of Belize, Mexico. Wherever God has called us, that's where our mission field is. And so what we have to do is we have to take the gifts God has given us and take it out beyond where we are in the practice setting. This is where we come and practice. This is where we come and get coached up. This is where we come and get fed up. But what we have to do is we have to remember that we're on mission. 
each and every time we walk out those doors. So he had the courage to instruct me in the ways of leadership in that work environment and ministry in the trenches. And I had to understand that leadership depended on one thing. What I did with it. Do I bring people in? Do I bring people to Christ? Or do I push them away? Because see, this is something I didn't share in the first service. I, my walls in my office, man, I have these beautiful pictures that were painted for me by Cindy Sop that says that this, this Superman symbol right here. And it says, it says that Jesus is the way. I have, I have a cross that sits on my, on my mantle. I have crosses on my walls. I have my, my kids' pictures up all over the place. I'm surrounded by all things religious. But if Christ doesn't live within my heart, and he wasn't back then for that period of time because I had grown so hard-hearted, I could surround myself with all of that. But if I wasn't taking the message of Jesus Christ into my heart and sharing that out, then I was doing just as much damage as Samson was. So what he called me in that day was do I bring people in or do I push them away? Samson's life was a picture of leadership gone bad. In my study, what I found, the most glaring difference between the leadership styles between Samson and Jesus is found in Luke 23 Verses 26 through, actually 26 through, I said 43, but it's actually through 46. So I, I am going to read this to you. It's the crucifixion. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Serene, who said, who was on his way from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and waited for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the women, blessed the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And then verse 32 says, Two men... Two other men, both criminals, were, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Verse 34 says, Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching over the rulers, even sneered at him. They said, if he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also come up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. The one, the crim one of the criminals there who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting for our deeds and with our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. 
for the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he had breathed his last. See, at this point, at this point in Jesus' life, he could have thrown in the towel. He had suffered humiliation. He had suffered beatings. He had suffered a false trial. He had suffered a crown of thorns being beaten down onto his head. And he could have thrown in the towel and said that we were not worthy of saving. But what, it, what does he do? He doesn't back down. He doesn't back away. He doesn't glorify himself. What he does, is, he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves because he knew the destruction was coming to Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. So in, in verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And he told the criminal in verse 43, he said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So at the most pivotal point in our history, Jesus could have given it up, taken himself off the cross, but he didn't. He loved you. He loved me. He loved us so much that he bore death and death on the cross for us so that we may have eternal life. Jesus showed that he was leadership in, 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 its, in its purest form. In a world so consumed with itself, the one thing that hasn't changed, Jesus is still the way. So I mentioned a while ago about uh, uh, Samson. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, in, in, in Judges 16.30, uh, I'm going to go back to that. Just bear with me. At this, at this point in time, uh, he, had been, he had been married to Delilah. Everybody knows about Delilah. Well, Delilah had asked him, and this is what I don't understand about Samson. Four times, four times, Delilah had asked him what the key to his great strength was. He answered her in a lie three of those times. But I'm thinking to myself, if my wife is asking me three times, how, how, basically how she can kill me, why am I answering? I don't, I don't get that. I, 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 anyway, uh, I'm thankful that Lynn has never asked me that question. But in 1630, let's find it here. Samson said, let me die with these Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and came down the temple on the rulers and all the people. Thus he killed many more that day than when he lived. So right before that, Samson, like I said, Samson had been married to Delilah. He finally succumbed the last one. Because it does talk about nagging in the Bible. I just want to point that out. It talks about nagging in the Bible. You can go read it for yourself. But prior to that... Samson and, and Delilah, and she, she said, she asked on the fourth time, and he told the secret of his great strength, and it was as in his hair. And so Delilah shaved his hair, shaved his hair off while he was sleeping on her lap. And the men of the Philistines come in, subdued him, and gouged out his eyes. Took him to serve a while in prison. I don't know exactly how long, but he served in prison, just grinding away the, the, the wheat and the grain of the field. And and then this time, uh, the, the, the Philistines were coming in to celebrate that they had captured, that their God had delivered Samson into their hands. And, and, and Samson, he was subdued at that time. There was nothing he could do because the Lord had left him because he had no hair. His great strength was gone, and he was blind. And so as these, uh, as these Philistines were celebrating that their, that their enemy had, had been given into their hands, they wanted to bring them out and, and have them entertain 
for them. So, so they, they brought him out into the temple. And the way I can describe it is just it's a, it's a large temple with pillars right down the middle. had thousands of people surrounding Samson. And Samson comes into the temple and he, and he just, he, he's beat down. He has no eyes. He can't see. He's being led in. And he tells the guy that's leading him in, lead me to the timbers that support the temple. Lead me to them so I may lean on them, he says. So he leans on them and he says, Sovereign God, remember me this last time. Remember me, remember your servant, and that I may have vengeance against these Philistines for my two eyes. And he pushes with all his might. He drops those timbers and it comes crashing down. And it says that he killed more that day than when he ever lived. But it was to glorify himself and to get vengeance for his two eyes. When Jesus went to the cross in Luke 23, 46, he didn't go for himself. He went for you. He went for me. He went for that person that you look in the mirror every day. Jesus loves us. And he gave his life on the cross for us. <clears throat> Jesus chose to glorify God in his last days when he, fought. he said, Father, I commit my spirit to you. So what does this passage reveal about God? It reveals that even in our brokenness, while Samson was broke and Samson's life didn't live up to what God had intended for him, he still used Samson as a part of his plan to begin the deliverance of Israel. So God can use us in our brokenness to accomplish his plan. What does this passage reveal about Jesus? It, it reveals that we need his direction. We need his guidance. And we need to do our own heart work. We need to humble ourselves and our desires and serve a purpose greater than ourselves. How does this point to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? If we are left to go it alone, if we are left to do it all by ourselves, we'll fail and we will fail miserably, just like Samson. We will seek our own interests above his and we will glorify ourselves rather than glorifying Jesus. So I relate that story of myself and the building of that program, I relate that because as I studied and I saw and I read and I prayed, I saw so much of myself in the character of Samson. And to some degree, sadly to say, I still see Samson in me today. But the man that helped me call out that destructive path that, that I was laying down, when he called me to do that self-work, he was just, he was telling me, the only way that I would be able to do this is humble myself before Jesus. In this way, we say, I, I serve in a ministry called Reengage, and in that service, uh, there, there's, there's, there's some material, and it says the, the best thing we can do if we want to build or rebuild anything is we draw a circle around ourselves and we work on everybody in that circle. That's hard work. That's some of the most difficult work you'll ever do in your life. But I promise you, I promise you, if you force yourself to do that work, if you force to yourself to work on everybody in that circle, it will be some of the most fruitful work that you've ever done in your life. Now, it's hard. Again, I want to reiterate, it's hard work. You got to put time in. You got to put effort in. But most importantly, 
you have got to die to that person in that circle and serve the Lord who is greater than us. Leadership is hard, and I believe, I believe in my heart, the hard is what turns Samson away. Each one of us, especially those who have a relationship with Christ, has an opportunity to live out the life that's worthy of the calling that he's placed on us. If we're a believer and we're born again, when we came up out of that baptismal water, we, we were raised to walk in the newness of life. And the sad thing is, what we fail so many times to tell the folks that, that are coming up out of that water is just how difficult that's going to be. When you're raised to walk in the newness of life, what you have to be is you have to be willing to walk in community with others because you can't do it alone. You got to be willing to open yourself up to, I don't know this, but I'm going to study this as much and as often as I can. You have to pour yourself into the word, thus the word pours itself into you. Today we still have the same temptations that Samson did. And we still have the same temptations that's, that Jesus did. But Jesus Christ said he would never leave you nor forsake you. That's relationship. Walking in relationship is the key to subduing the Samson in your life.